0: Hey, we started a series last week called Decisions. And basically what we kind of started out and the premise we're kind of building this thing on is, is this thought that as we go into the new year and we, as we go into 2012, and I don't know if, if you guys are like me, but for oftentimes at this time of the year I reflect kind of on the past year. And uh, I don't do any structured type of reflection or anything like that, but it's always in my thoughts and kind of in my mind. And I'm thinking, where have I come in the last year? Am I at a better place at the beginning of 2012 than I was in the beginning of 2011? Am I spiritually better off? Is my walk with God closer, deeper, more intimate? Is my marriage at a better place, or is it drifting a direction that I don't want it to go? Is my spiritual life, has it drifted over the past year, or has it been purposely, because it'll never go accidentally in the right direction, I promise. It'll go accidentally in the wrong direction in any area. But have I been purposeful? Have I been on purpose? Have I paid attention to the important things in my life? Is my relationship with my kids at the place that I want it to be, if I maintained healthy relationships with other people, with friends that I want to grow old with, and that when I'm 70 and I'm 80, I want to have a circle of friends, whatever it might be, is my life heading in the right direction. And then as I look at 2012, and all of us, we can say, how do I make sure that as I go through 2012... That these important areas of my life are not drifting off course. That the important areas of my life, the things that really matter, are headed in the right direction. And at the end of this year, at the end of 365 days, I can look back and I can say, you know what? That wasn't a perfect year. There were some hard things. There were some painful things. But I was on purpose and I was, I was in tune with the important areas of my life and I'm better off at the end of this year than I was in the beginning. That my walk with God is actually better than it was in the beginning of the year. That my marriage is deeper and more intimate and is close and it hasn't drifted and that I've maintained great relationships with my children and I've tried really hard to maintain great relationships with the people around me. And then I said, how do we make sure that happens? Because it takes more than great intentions. In fact, all of us have good intentions. I would I would say that if we would ask the question, how many of you intend, your intention, your desire would be at the end of 2012 to have a closer walk with God? All of us would say that it's my intention. If I would say those of us that are married or in a relationship, if if I would say, what is your intention for that marriage, for that relationship at the end of 2012, every one of our intentions would be, I want it to be better. I want it to move in the right direction. I want there to be growth. And if we would ask about our professional, our careers, any areas of our life, all of us would have the intention that at the end of 2012 we're at a better place, or there's growth, or there's movement. And yet for so many of us and for so many people, as time moves on, the direction of our lives not nec- doesn't necessarily line up with the intention of our lives. And our intention is one thing, and our direction is another. And I said, doesn't it come down, or doesn't the bottom line, doesn't the rubber meet the road at this point where we just simply make decisions? That, that daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, we make decisions, small and large very important and maybe not so important, but we're faced with decisions all the time. What if we could make great decisions? What if we could figure out a way that we would have the wisdom to make great decisions? Because that's where it all starts, doesn't it? Man, if we could have anything, wouldn't it be wisdom? There's a story of a guy in the Old Testament by the name of, name of Solomon. Right? And God comes to Solomon for whatever reason, and that's a whole other lesson in itself, but God comes to Solomon and says, listen, I'm gonna give you anything you want. Can you imagine? Can you imagine God telling you, listen, I'll give you anything you ask for. You just name it, it's yours. And we know what Solomon asked for. Solomon said, above everything else, above riches, above possessions, above anything that I could think of, here's the one thing that I want, God, from you. I want wisdom. And last week, we've said this here, and this series is not going to sum this all up and is not going to foolproof making decisions. Is not the end of all answers about how to make decisions, but I think there's some very key issues And the one we talked about last week was we said, according to Scripture, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That we have to change the way we think about things. According to Romans 12, verse 2, it says, Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed, not by anything else, not by how you dress, where you go to church, Anything like that, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is, think about things differently. And I said, we have to begin to think about God in a different light. That we have to learn how to fear him for who he is in a healthy way. Because according to scripture, over and over and over again, that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord with the proper view of who your and my Heavenly Father is. And it really comes down to this in that concept, is that once we have the proper fear of God, once we recognize who He is, His holiness, His power, what He asks of us, that once we have a proper view of God, there is nothing else that we should ever fear, or need to fear, or should fear. Because there's only one person we answer to. And that's our Heavenly Father. Well, there's another thing that I think plays into this whole thing of making decisions. And this is, a very, this is even more uncomfortable, maybe, than what we talked about last week. Because this one here, we really push back against. You know, we can kind of get the concept, okay, I understand that God is God, and He's powerful and all these things, and and everything that I do comes under His authority, and everything I do, I'm going to answer to Him one day for. And we kind of can buy into that, especially if we're Christians, even though we may push back a little bit. But this one today, we push back against really hard. And maybe we push back against it even harder as men, because as we talk about this today, it's going to bump up against our egos, And it's this whole idea of what about our friends? What about the people around us that give us advice? Sometimes when we ask their advice, or sometimes when they give us advice even though we don't want it. What about the friend factor? What about us that live together? Because here's the reality. Here's the reality, whether we want to admit it or not, is that at some point in your life and in my life, and I should even maybe say more often than at just some point, more often than we would ever care to admit, even though our intentions, again, are correct, and we really are in a place to the best of our ability to say, God, I really do want to do the wise thing. God, I really do want to choose to do the right thing. I really do want to make a great decision. I really do want to make great choices. That for each one of us, the reality is is that even though we're at that point, there are times, and again, probably more times than we would ever care to admit, that we simply don't know what to do that we really honestly end, that we really do run into the end of our wisdom. And it is at those points and at those times when we need other people, when we need friends. See, I don't like this verse. I'll just be honest. I don't like this verse in Proverbs 15, verse 22. And I doubt many of you like this verse. Here's what it says it says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. You like that verse? That's a tough verse for me. I'll just be honest. Because I like to think that I know what I'm doing. I like to think that I've got some wisdom. And sometimes, even when I'm not sure I have wisdom, I just want to do what I want to do. And this verse says, listen, your plans fail sometimes because you didn't listen to other people. And then it goes on to say, don't just ask one person. It says, but with many advisors, many advisors they succeed. That's a tough verse if you really look at it and take it literally. I think there's two times, especially in your life and my life, and I should say this here, this is not original with me. This comes from a teaching of Andy Stanley. So this is not out of my own smartness, but I'm sharing something with you I learned from him. But there's two times when you and I are at a place when we make decisions when we for sure need other people. And we for sure need an outside voice. And we for sure need other wise people speaking into our lives. And one of them is this, is when we're making emotional decisions. When we're making emotional decisions, it could be anything. It could be a positive emotion. It could be emotions like no money down, interest free for 60 months. And you're like, wow! Wow! How can you go wrong, right? And your emotions get swept into it and you want that. A five-bedroom house and we can upgrade and it becomes this emotional thing. It could, be an, it could be a negative emotion. It could be decisions that you make when you're angry and you're just ticked off and you make a hasty decision and there's emotions involved. It could be a decision when you make when you're down. Right When you're depressed and you're desperate and you'll do almost anything for an out or a little bit of relief, you need other people and you need a friend. When there's emotions involved in your decision, be wise enough to say, Listen, my emotions are all in this. It could be a relationship. My goodness. Emotions get all tied up in that and mess us all up. And here's the thing that happens. Here's the thing that happens as a person that is giving advice to a person that is emotionally involved and everything is all messed up. And sometimes you give, you give advice to a person that you know if you were in their shoes you could never take. But you know it's the right thing to do. And if you're that person, just separate yourself for a second, for five minutes from your emotions and look at things through a friend's eye and outside of your emotions say, you know what, that's wise counsel. Because your emotions, listen, your emotions are not trustworthy. Right? My goodness, if we listened to our emotions and in everything, we'd be in a horrible place. And maybe that's why some of us are at a horrible place, is because our emotions have made our decisions. Here's another place and a time when we need other people it's when you and I are asked to make decisions that are outside of our expertise. When you and I are asked or put in a position, whatever, for whatever reason, and are looked at to make a decision that is far greater than our expertise or our ability. If you're a leader in any position, in any place, you would be put in positions where you're looked at to make a decision. And if you're honest, you would say, I have no clue. As a father, There are times when your son or your daughter will come to you and will ask you questions, how to handle something, what to do in this situation. And you will have to say, if you're honest, I'm your father, I don't know. I'm your mom, and I'm just not sure. As a husband and as a father... Or as a wife and a mother, you're going to be in situations when you're asked to make decisions that are beyond your expertise, that are beyond your experience, that are beyond anything you've ever experienced before. And in those times, you need a friend. You need a counsel of many advisors. Number one in your outline is a secret of all wise people. And I think it holds true. If you've met a very wise person that has wisdom, this is one of his secrets, and it is. It's very simple. is wise people know when they don't know. Isn't that profound? Wise people know when they don't know. A wise person is one who is in situations sometimes and they say, You know what? I don't know. I don't know. When they have enough humility as a father or as a leader to say, You know what? I'm not sure what to do in this situation. It is beyond what I, my mind, it's beyond my smarts, it's beyond my wisdom. What should I do? I need a friend. A wise people know when they don't know and they're not afraid to ask someone who knows. Wise people don't pretend. They don't deceive themselves. Wise people know when they've reached and bumped up against the end of their own wisdom. And they have the courage to ask the people around them who may know. Number two in your outline. We've already touched on this. is Wise people seek wise people. Wise people seek wise people. This is a crazy principle. Because our natural tendency um, would be to push back against that. It really would. We have this concept that if I'm wise enough, if I'm smart enough, if I know enough, I don't need to ask anybody else anything because I have wisdom. And why would I have to ask anybody anything if I'm wise? And we look sometimes at people who are wise and we think they must always know exactly what to do. And I will tell you the opposite of that is true. In fact, if you look at the song of Solomon, I mean at Proverbs, written by Solomon, The smartest man who has ever lived, the man that God gave unlimited wisdom to. God, like I said earlier, God said, I'll give you anything you want. Solomon said, I want wisdom. God gave him wisdom. People came from everywhere to draw from his wisdom. And yet, you know what he talks about more than any other writer in Scripture? is to go get advice so that you have wisdom. More than any other person in history, Solomon writes about the fact how important it is to have advisors and friends in your life that you hear and listen to. Isn't that amazing? The wisest man that ever lived had more to say about seeking wise counsel than any other person in history. So you would have to say, if Solomon was the wisest person that ever lived, and he had to get counsel and he had to seek advice, there must be something to it. There must be something to it. Proverbs 1 5. It says this is not in your outline, but Proverbs 1 5, it says, Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Did you catch that? Let the wise Listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. That's big. It says if you're wise, listen more. If you have if you have the ability to discern things, listen to people more. Get advice. Wise people seek wise people. We're going to look at a story in a minute in Genesis 41 that's an amazing story about a person that listens to wise counsel from a very strange place. It's, it really, when you look at it through this lens, it's an amazing story. But here's a couple things that I want to talk to you about very quickly before we go into that story that I think is so important and kind of lays the platform of what, what, what we're going to talk about for the rest of this morning. And here's what you and I have to understand, and you can argue with this, and you can push back against this. I believe these principles are accurate, and they're true, and they should change the way we look at making decisions. Here's what you and I should understand. Three things about our decisions is this, is many, if you're conservative, you could say many. If you want to probably be honest, you could say most. Many or most of of the decisions that you make privately, you hear me? Almost every, or I should say most or many, of the decisions that you make privately become public at some point. You get that? You make a private decision to buy a car, everybody finds out. You make a private decision to buy a house, everybody finds out. You make a private decision to take a job or change careers, everybody finds out. You make a decision in your marriage, private decision, everyone finds out. And the list can go on and on. Many or most of the decisions that you make privately become public news. And if you guys are like me and my wife, we talk about you guys. We talk about each other. I'm not talking about bad, right? But we do. Man, did you see what they got? Did you see the house that they built? Did you, did you know what she did, or he did, or that vehicle that they're driving? We all find out, and here's what happens. Not only is it made publicly, is many or most of the decisions that you made privately are judged by the people around you. Not necessarily in a bad way, it's just how it is. We look at each other, we watch each other, we talk about each other. And I'm talking about gossip, that's not what I'm saying. But just in the natural course of life. You know what my wife and I will do when we go home today? I'll say, so what did you find out today? I do, that's exactly the words that I say. I say, who did you talk to, what did you find out today? Now listen, I want to tell you something. If my wife tells you she's not going to tell anybody, she doesn't tell me. I promise. Okay, sometimes I'd like to beat her over the head because she won't tell me. But I'm not what I'm not telling you is we're not trust it's not that we're not trustworthy, but you guys do the same thing. Who did you talk to today? Oh man, I didn't know that about them. And then we have a discussion or we talk a little bit. And and your private decisions become public news and if we're honest, they're judged. Here's the third thing that you have to understand about your decisions. And this is one of the most important things. Is not only are your decisions that you make privately judged. Not only do they become public and are judged, is they affect the people around you. Your private decisions, many or most of them, not only are become public news and are judged by the people around you, they affect the people around you. And stats would say that at least four or five people that are around you will be affected directly by the decisions that you make, large or small. So here's the thing. If we would agree, and I don't see how you cannot agree with the three things that we just said, that your private decisions become public, that your private decisions are judged, and that your private decisions affect the people around you, why in the world would we not be better at getting people involved on the front end of our decisions than we are? And listen, I'm as guilty as everybody else. There is pushback on this big time. But if everything that I'm going to do or most my decisions that I make are going to be public, are going to be judged and affect the people that I love, why would I not get more people involved on the front end of my decisions? Wise people know when they don't know. Wise people know when they don't know and wise people are not afraid. And have the courage to ask someone who knows. There's a story, Genesis 41, about a guy, Joseph is his name, you guys know who Joseph is. Joseph was born, his father was Jacob, and uh, he grew up in a family of a whole bunch of brothers. Jacob was kind of the favorite one in the family, and for some reason his older brothers hated him. Maybe Joseph was a little bit arrogant, I don't know, but... uh, His brothers ended up taking Joseph, selling him into slavery. You guys know the story. He sold into slavery into Egypt. He goes into Potiphar's home. Potiphar is is the uh, captain of the guard. He's kind of one of the head military guys, and he's the one that buys Joseph. Joseph serves in his home or in his household uh, for a while, is accused of raping Potiphar's wife, falsely accused, is thrown into prison. Um, and is in prison for a, a, a 10 years, and we pick up this story after he's in prison approximately 10 years. While he's in prison, Pharaoh, who here's what's important about this story that we have to understand, we have to understand the context. Pharaoh has a dream. And uh, he wants somebody to interpret his dream. So he goes to all of his guys that are around him and asks him. And nobody interprets the dream. And Pharaoh wants this dream interpreted because it was a big dream, right? Now, in this context and in this culture, Pharaoh was not just a man. Pharaoh was not just the leader of his country. Pharaoh was looked at as a god. They believed that Pharaoh had eternal life. They really did. He was worshipped and treated like he was a god. If Pharaoh got up in the morning and decided to make a new law for his entire country, he could make a new law just like that. And if an hour and a half later he decided he didn't like that law and he wanted to change it, he could change it just like that. He operated and was looked at and was revered and worshipped like a god. If he wanted you dead, you were dead. If he wanted to promote you, you were promoted. There was no avenues that he had to go through. Pharaoh has a dream, can't can't get it interpreted. His cupbearer is with him one day and knows what's going on. And he says, hey, he says, I remember a time when you were angry with me and you threw me in prison. And while I was in prison, I had a dream, and a friend of mine had a dream, and there was this kid that was in there, this Jewish kid that interpreted both of our dreams, and both of our dreams came true. He said, according to my dream, when he interpreted that you were going to restore me as your cupbearer, and sure enough, you restored me as your cupbearer, maybe he could interpret your dream. And Pharaoh says, let's get him. Let's go get this kid. So they go down in the prison, the Bible says they clean Joseph up, they shave him, they shower, he washes up, he puts on some decent clothes, and he comes in in front of Pharaoh, who by, listen, remember, this was a God, right? This was the big man. This was bigger than one of us even talking to the president. Joseph's life was at stake here, and Pharaoh tells Joseph his dream. And we know what the dream is, right? Let me, go, let me go to Genesis 41, where we pick this story up. Joseph is about 30 years old at this point, um, has served 10 years in prison. Pharaoh explains his dream to him and tells him his dream, and we pick up the story in verse 33, chapter 41. Well, no, I'm getting ahead of myself. Here's, here's the dream that Joseph interprets for Pharaoh. He says, here's what your dream means. He says, you're going to have seven years of plenty. In Egypt, there's going to be seven years of plenty. You're going to have more than enough crops. You're going to have an abundance of things. You're going to be exceedingly blessed for seven years. But at the end of seven years, there's going to be a seven-year famine, and all of your blessings, and everything that you had, and all your abundance is gone, and people are going to die, and it's going to be horrible. And so he interprets a dream to Pharaoh, and now this is all that Pharaoh has asked for, right? This is all that Pharaoh has pulled this guy out of prison, has never met Joseph before, doesn't know anything about him. All he knows is he's he's a young guy, a Jew that's been in prison for 10 years, and evidently he's got the ability to interpret some dreams. Joseph gives his interpretation of the dream, and then offers some unsolicited advice to Pharaoh. And without being asked, Joseph just continues after his interpretation, and he says this, verse 33. And understand who he's speaking to. He says, and now let Pharaoh, in other words, Pharaoh, here's what you should do. Listen to some advice from me. Because I know exactly what's going on. I've been in prison 10 years. I have all kinds of experience. I've ruled nations. I've been in your shoes. I have some advice for you as the leader of the most powerful country in the world. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. And he goes on to give directions. See, guys, here's the thing. Here's where it bumps up against our ego. Man, if somebody steps into your arena, into your area of expertise... And you've been a salesman for 20 years, or you've been, uh, you've been a a quality manager for how many years, or you've been whatever building houses for 20 years, or 10 or 15 years, and you're a framer, you know what you're doing, and some dude walks up to your lot, into your, into your area, and you don't know him, and he says, hey, let me just tell you something that you need to do different. Here's what I think you ought to do. Ah. What rises up in us, right? We're like, are you serious? Really? Steve, you know what? It'd be like me going to Steve's trust shop and saying, hey, Steve, move out of the way. Let me show you something on this computer. I've never done this. I know nothing about trusts, but you need to do this a little bit different way. Here's what I would advise you. It would be like this. It would be like you hiring a babysitter and you come back and pick your kids up and the babysitter says, hey, let me, pulls you offside. Let me just give you a little bit of advice as a parent. I mean, I'm 16. I've never had kids. But I've noticed a few things, and, you know, you gotta do. we'd be like, are you serious? Listen, that's exactly what's happening here. Joseph's, Joseph just boldly tells Pharaoh here's some advice that I think you should take. Verse 35, he says, they should collect all the food of these good years, of the first seven years that are coming and, and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. Boy, and if you look into the story, Joseph gives incredible advice. Basically, here's what he tells Pharaoh, or Joseph gives great advice. Here's what he tells Pharaoh to do. He says, during the first seven years, you need to claim for yourself, not for Egypt, Not for your country, but you need to claim for yourself 20% of all the crops and everything that happens in your country. Under the name of Pharaoh. That's exactly what he tells them. Then he says, This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked him in verse 38, "Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God?" Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, "Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people, in, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you." Isn't that a crazy story? Joseph comes in from out of nowhere. A 30-year-old guy that had spent the last 10 or 13 years in prison gives advice to the most powerful man on the planet, unsolicited advice, and Pharaoh is wise enough. Listen. Pharaoh is wise enough to know that he didn't know. And Pharaoh was wise enough to know when he had heard some wisdom. And listen, we don't know from this story how long this decision really took. We don't, I mean, according to the story, it was just kind of a snap decision. And Pharaoh said, man, this guy knows what he's talking about. And he elevates him to the second most powerful position in his country. And he says, listen, you can do anything you want. You are only going to answer to me. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Just like that. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger, put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. Wise people know when they don't know. Wise people know when they don't know. And we know kind of what happens in in the story. Pharaoh takes Joseph's advice. The seven years of plenty come. Pharaoh claims 20% of all the crops in his own name. Listen, claimed it in his own name, put it in, in storehouses and put it away. Joseph overlooked the whole thing. At the end of seven years, the famine struck, and you know what happened? Without firing a shot, without any war... Without any battles, Pharaoh not only controlled and owned everything in his own country, as he began to get control and own everything in the countries around him. Because everyone, everyone had to come to Pharaoh because he was the one that had enough wisdom to hear wisdom to put things away. Everybody came to him, and we know the story Joseph's brothers came. That's how the whole children of Israel thing happened, and they became captives in Egypt. It's an incredible story. Three things, three remaining things in your outline that we need to think about in, in, in context of this story. Number three in your outline. Out of this story, we need to understand this, that no one, not you, not me, no one, is so successful that he or she no longer needs wise counsel. No one is so successful that he or she no longer needs wise counsel. You will never reach or obtain a place or get to the level where you don't need the people around you, which is evident from this story. Pharaoh not only was the most powerful guy, Pharaoh was a wise guy. Number four in your outline. You will never reach, Boy, this is so important. This is so important if you're 18. This is so important if you're 14. It's so important if you're 20, if you're young especially, even if you're 40 and getting old like me. You will never ever reach your full potential without utilizing the wisdom of other people. You want to reach your potential? You want to do everything that God has designed you to do? And listen, I'm preaching to myself as well as I'm preaching to you. You need other people. You will never reach your full potential. Without utilizing the wisdom um, of other people. Here's the thing that you have to understand. Who's the best golfer right now? Who's like the number one golfer? It's not Tiger anymore, is it? Who is it? Phil Mickelson or anyway. Some of these pro golfers. Tiger was at the top for years and years and years. And you know what Tiger had? Tiger had a coach. And I can guarantee you this, that Tiger was way better than his coach otherwise his coach would have been playing here's what we think sometimes and we push back against this and we think we can never get advice from someone who is at a different place than us or who hasn't succeeded as much as us or at as a lower place as us or doesn't have as many kids as us or is younger than us or especially we do this is we look at other people when they come to give us advice and we say yeah but you know what boy you've really screwed up in this area and we just write them off. And we say, yeah, yeah, you hear what you're saying, but man, what what did you do over here in this area? And we just kind of write them off. And what we're doing is we're looking for someone that is absolutely perfect, that is a God, before we listen to advice. Listen, every pro athlete has a coach. And every pro athlete that has a coach is probably better at their job than their coach is. But they listen and get advice, and they're coached along, and it makes them better. You will never reach your full potential without utilizing the wisdom of other people. Number five, wise counsel may sometimes come from unlikely sources. Oh, we really push back against this. Wise counsel may sometimes come, may come from unlikely sources. And again, we sometimes think I'm here and that person's here. Why could they give me counsel? I've done this. They've never done it. Why could they give me counsel? And according to this story, out of this story, how much more of an unlikely place could have counsel came from Pharaoh than from a guy that was in prison that everybody had forgot about except for that cupbearer? Pharaoh was wise enough to know that he didn't know and he was wise enough to know when he heard wisdom. Here's the thing you have to understand about this story as well. Is fortunately for Pharaoh, and fortunately for his country, and fortunately for the countries around him, Pharaoh was willing to listen to advice from an unlikely source. Think about what would have happened. I don't know what would have happened if Pharaoh would have just disregarded the whole, the whole future of the nation of Israel was at stake. The whole future of the Jews was at stake, which meant that the whole future of your Savior was at stake. And it was at this point in history, this one point where Joseph gave some unsolicited advice and Pharaoh was wise enough to know that he didn't know and he listened, that actually made a difference in your life and in my life 2,000, 4,000 some years later. Here's my question for you this morning. Are you in the middle of an emotional decision? Or are you in the middle of a decision where it is obvious it is beyond your expertise? Are you maybe in the middle of a decision that you're simply just over your head? Would you have the courage and would you have the wisdom to ask for and to listen to and take the advice of the people around you. Wise people know when they don't know. And people that ask for wisdom and for counsel, that is evidence of a wise person. You want to make great decisions in 2012? We need each other. Bottom line, we need each other. And we need each other's wisdom and shared experiences. And I hope we have the humility and the courage to ask for it and take it. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. God, thank you for some of the stories that you've given us in Scripture um, that teach awesome principles. And sometimes they're hard. Sometimes we want to push back, and sometimes we don't necessarily want to listen. God, I feel like sometimes... um, man, this is an area where we really struggle in because we want to be independent. We want to appear like we got things together. We want to appear like we know what we're doing. We have pride issues. Um, and God, I pray that you would use this story and what we talked about this morning uh, to break us down, God, to help us to understand we need people and we need the people around us. Help us to have the wisdom to know when we don't know and to have the wisdom and the courage to ask people who know. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.